the letter of Paul to the Galatians. Let's just go ahead and open our Bibles there. And, and I was hoping, the way I had prepared this before, that we were just going to do like one good and amazing quick overview of the letter of Galatians um, in one Sunday. But I started writing a lot of stuff. And like I'm not much of a writer, so when I do, sometimes I get lost. <laughs> um, hold on, I just need to find my, there you go. Um, um, but there's so much that I want to share on this letter. And, and, and as I was preparing for this message, I was just praying um, that God would really give me the words. And like you don't understand when, I'm, when I say this, like I don't think I've ever prayed like this like meaning so much what I'm what I'm praying like I really want that uh, I really want God to give me the right words to share with you for them to be very precise very accurate very clear because I really want us to understand this message right here and I really want all of us to really embrace fully embrace fully understand in a way that's very clear to receive a clear revelation, a life-changing revelation, a life-giving revelation of this letter right here. So I really pray, I'm praying, I prayed, I'm praying right as I speak right now that God would just grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of Jesus, that, that he would make his words clear, that he would use me with very precise, clear, and accurate words. Amen. Awesome. That was good. Like, I was actually surprised, like, oh, you know, like, I, it's as if you guys were throwing some anointing at me. I was like, whoa, that was good. All right, let's keep it up. Amen. Um, the letter of Paul to the Galatians, chapter one. Let's just jump straight into the letter. I mean, before we read anything, let me just paint uh, the background. The reason why Paul was writing this letter, I mean, this was a church. He's writing to a church, okay, and he planted this church. He started this church. Now, I don't know if you know or remember the story of Paul the Apostle. Um, I mean, while he was preaching the gospel, during the time that he was preaching the gospel and he was alive and planting churches, um, the church was being persecuted. Christians were being persecuted. So he planted this church under great pressure. You understand what I'm saying? Like it was under great pressure, great stress, uh, great opposition that he planted this church. So Paul loves these people. Paul really loves these people. And you can actually tell that Paul was a very loving guy. Very loving guy. Like in all of his letters, he writes them with so much um, affection. Even when he's um, disciplining or exhorting someone, you can feel the affection and the passion of Paul. Because it was, he was just loving toward people. And so he planted this church. And now he's writing this letter. He's away. He planted the church. He lifted up a pastor, a church leader there. Um, and they're gathering, and, and he went somewhere else to plant another church. But, it, but then he got some news about this church that he had started, that he planted. And now he's writing a letter because the news he heard. What is, What are these news that Paul heard about this church, concerning this church? Is that this church was mixing the gospel he originally preached to them. This church was perverting the gospel Paul had originally preached to them. And Paul said, that's not okay. I need to correct that. That is not okay. So he writes this entire letter to defend the gospel he preached. 
Like the, the letter of Galatians, you can summarize as this. It's a huge defense of the gospel Paul was entrusted to preach that he preached everywhere he went. Under persecution. Under great opposition. So what is the letter of Galatians? Is Paul's defense of the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Now, there's one thing interesting about this letter. Uh, he's full of love, full of passion, but... Unlike any of his other letters, you can feel, you can see, and you can sense that Paul is pissed. Really, if you ever read this letter, you understand what I'm saying. Paul is angry. He is pissed. He is not happy with what's going on. If there's something that hits the nerves, if, if there's something that really makes Paul angry, it's not like the church in Corinth. Where there's a lot of mess going on, a lot of wrongdoing, a lot of wrong behavior. He corrected that all right. But what really messed him up, what really got him pissed, was wrong believing. You guys see the difference? It wasn't the, the wrong attitudes and behavior of the Corinthians. Paul wrote to them also. Paul corrected, but he was not harsh. He was not pissed. You can read the letter of Corinthians and you can sense hope. You can sense like this joy. Paul starts a letter by calling them saints. And these guys were getting drunk during communion time. It's not like drunk on a Friday night. It's like drunk in a Sunday morning service. You understand what I'm saying? Paul writes to them and says, oh, you saints. You who have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. And you can sense hope and love and all of that. Like this good positive affection. But here... Paul begins by saying, oh, foolish Galatians. Not saints, foolish. Because to Paul, wrong believing from the Galatians what was a million times worse than wrong behavior. You understand what I'm saying? Hello, do you understand what I'm saying? Wrong behavior is corrected by wrong believing. But if you have wrong believing, there's no way. You understand what I'm saying, guys? So, Paul is writing to them. Paul is pissed. Paul is writing because he received the news that this, these people right here, this church, they were mixing the gospel. They are perverting the gospel he originally preached. He's angry. He's writing to them. And let's dive into this wonderful letter. Amen. You guys with me this morning? Awesome. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. Paul begins by saying, I am astonished. In other words, perplexed, amazed. That you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see right here. Paul says, look, I am shocked. I am perplexed. I am, I am amazed in a very bad way, in a very negative way. Why? Because you are deserting him who called you into his grace. And you guys are going Towards another gospel. You guys are running and walking, believing in another gospel. Verse 7. And then Paul says, not that there is another gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You guys see what I'm saying so far? Paul is saying, look, who has cast the spell upon you, bewitched you to just Desert the gospel of Christ and run towards another gospel. Believe in something else. And then he says that, it, that it's not that, it, that there is something else. It's just a perversion of the original gospel that Paul preached. 
And then he goes on to say, there is no other gospel other than the gospel of Christ. In verse 8, look at this. Even if we, meaning the apostles themselves, or an angel from heaven should preach to you any other gospel contrary to the one we preach to you already, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so now, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Do you guys feel the tone? Do you guys see what I'm saying? Paul is pissed. And look at his words. He says, I'm astonished. I'm perplexed at you. And what he's saying here is that there is no other gospel. And even if Paul himself at one day changes his mind and starts preaching something else contrary to the gospel he originally preached, he says, don't listen to me anymore. That's when you stop listening to me. That's when you stop reading my letters. He says, even if another apostle, Peter, or if John, even if anybody else or James shows up and preaches anything else different than what I have preached to you already, don't listen to him. Let it be accursed. Let it be considered a curse. Hello, you understand what I'm saying? And then he goes on to say, he says, even forget the apostles, right? Even if an angel sent from heaven teaches you anything else other than what I have already taught you, the doctrines of the apostle Jesus entrusted to us, let it be accursed. Hello, are you guys with me? We've narrowed things just now. No one else can preach and add on to anything different than what the apostles have already laid to us. This foundation of the true, genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. Not an angel can add anything. Not an apostle. Not a teacher. Not a pastor from today or from 2,000 years ago. Not a new letter that shows up. Nothing else can add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what Paul is saying. And what bugs him is this mixture within the gospel that he preached. What bugs him is that the gospel he preached was already, <clears throat> sorry, being perverted by some. Was already damaged by some false teachers. By some wrong believing. By some stuff that was added on to the message he preached. And what was this stuff? And why is this so important? Why is it so important that we dive into this letter that Paul wrote? Because today... Today, in every church, even within your, your heart, we have been mixing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so easy to do so. And what I want to do this morning is just to reveal to you how this is true. How so many times we just mix the gospel of Jesus. And what is this mixture here? If we want to be precise with our words, what is the exact mixture of the gospel of Jesus Christ that was added on that Paul really disliked. It was law. Is our own self-righteousness. Our own works to gain or to earn anything before God. That bugged him. Because to Paul, he clearly understood. And the message that he left to this church he planted under great opposition was, was Christ alone. Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. Christ paid it all. It was once and for all sacrifice. God was completely and entirely pleased with the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, for our sake. There's no add-ons. There's nothing else to be added on 
to the sacrifice of Jesus. Hence, we call it perfect and finished. But the mixture was, no, it's, it's a little bit of Jesus. He's the doorway. He's our salvation. But we got to keep it up, right? We got to keep up with our end of the deal. We got to keep up with our end of the agreement, our end of the covenant. Isn't that right? We got we to gotta work to earn our way. We got to work to deserve. We got to work to keep. Right? He saved us, but we work to keep ourselves saved. He justified us. He forgave us. We work, but we work to keep ourselves that way. That bugged Paul. That made him angry. It really did. But you see how it's really easy to mix the gospel? And what Paul, the reason why Paul wrote this, and the reason I believe the Holy Spirit has kept it here for us to read this morning, to study, dive into is for us to see that so many times we do it ourselves. We are mixing the gospel. And what Paul wanted is for us to hold on to a gospel that is unadulterated, unchanged, that's not mixed, that's not perverted, that's unfiltered. Why? Because this is what Paul says about the gospel. He says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You mix Anything to the gospel, you add anything to the gospel, you preserve, perverse anything to the gospel, it loses power. Because the gospel, unchanged, untouched, the gospel plus nothing else, the gospel alone, the message of Christ, of his perfect finished work, sacrifice on the cross, alone is the power of God unto salvation. You understand what I'm saying? Anything else... Paul says, let it be accursed. That's why so many times, and it's the reality across churches, that we see believers, children of God, children of God. The Bible says that we are the dwelling place of God. The Bible says that we have invested, God has poured, clothed us with his power, with his authority, with his very person. Hello, are you guys with me? That we are co-heirs with Christ. That we can do all things through Christ. That we are more than conquerors through Christ. That even when we're weak, he is strong. Hello, you guys with me? That, that we're victorious in Christ. That he makes a way in Christ. Yet, what we see, the image we see across churches is of defeated Christians. People living in defeat. When I say defeat, it, it could be anything. Could be they live in bondage to sin, they live under condemnation, they live under shame, they live short of what God has called them to be and called them to do, short of God's plans, they're running away from God for, for reasons that we all know are familiar to us, shame and fear and these feelings of unworthiness and inferiority of not being good enough, that we haven't made the cut. Why? Because we haven't seen the beauty of the message of Christ alone. Christ as sufficient. Christ as enough. It's Christ alone. It's him, not anything of us. Not what we can add. We cannot add to anything that Christ has done. We don't add. God does not accept. God can only accept Christ. God can only bless Christ God can only honor Christ. There's nothing in us that God would honor. Not our works, not our holiness, not our, uh, you know, 
prayer time, not our meditation time, not time spent with God. That's good. That's for you. But God cannot honor that. We always fall short. We are always lacking. God only honors Christ. So when you approach God dependent on Christ, God accepts you. So when you approach God based on what Christ has done for you on your behalf, God accepts you. So when you approach God dependent on Christ as your life, as your righteousness, as your justification, as your source of full forgiveness, God blesses you. God favors you. God accepts you. God uses you. God saves you. God redeems you. God does everything, but not because you. You haven't attracted God by your works and your, 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 the things you do good. You just approach God based on Christ. It, and it's a sin to approach God dependent on ourselves. That's called self-righteousness. So again, what they were mixing here is law. They, they, they were mixing law with grace. And you know why? So many times that's what we do. Because grace alone sounds too good to be true. Grace alone sounds dangerous. Grace alone sounds too far-fetched of an idea that's like too good, but that can't be it, right? But it is, and it is dangerous. But it's not dangerous in the sense of giving you a license to sin, but a license to live free from sin. <laughs> in other letters, I mean, I, I want to stay in Galatians, but Paul writes this. He says that we are no longer slaves to sin, for we are not under the law, but under grace. It's not using the law as a moral compass that will set you free from sin. It's just being washed by God's grace that will set you free from sin. Hello, are you guys with me? So Paul was upset. He says, I am astonished that you're deserting him. Mixing the gospel of Jesus Christ is equivalent in the eyes of God of deserting Christ. Mixing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus that says the work of the cross was sufficient for you to be granted full and complete access to God. If you add on to anything of it, it says, and man, I really want to make this familiar to all of us because I've been there. And so many times I, I still catch myself doing that. Let me just explain by the spirit of God, try to explain this very precisely. This is what I'm saying that there, there are some Jews who believed in Jesus. And they went to these churches, what Paul preached the gospel to Gentiles, people who were not Jews. And they said, look, it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic law. It's Jesus plus all the years of tradition, all the this, these lists of dues that we have received from God also. It's Jesus plus of all those things in the past, in the Old Testament. That, that's what was going on in this church. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? That will, that, that's exactly what was going on. Some Jews who have believed, maybe they had good intentions, um, but it, it, was, it was very bad for this church because they, they showed up and said, look, it's too good to be true. It, it can't just be Jesus alone. And what happened to all the 613 commandments that God gave us? What happened to all the hundreds or thousands of years of tradition that God has given us that we have kept or tried to keep for all these years? What, what happened to all of that? Man, it can't be just Jesus alone. It can't be just 
you know, his sacrifice alone. We got to add some moral compass with the law. We got to add some more stuff with the law. And, and, and like we can't forget Moses. We can't forget how God used him. So we got to add a little bit of, of the tradition that came with him and everything into this new thing. And I say new thing. Jesus called this new thing a new covenant. What the author of Hebrews later on goes to say, says that if there is a new, that means that the old is gone. He says, if there is a new, the old is obsolete. What Paul later on in this letter of Galatians says to them is, look, um, I never preached to you law. I've always preached to you Jesus. I've always preached to you that by grace you have received through faith. And faith is does not go together with law is either you are made right with God based on what you do or you believe someone else has made you right with God entirely apart from your doing like it's either or you either believe to be made right or you work really hard to be made right you choose one of them does not work one of them does not cut it because you can't be perfect the only one that works is believing that what Christ has done has made you right. And the difference between the law and grace, difference between the law and faith, law and the, the gospel that Paul preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that those are two different ways of relating to God. Two different ways of interacting with God. Hello, you understand what I'm saying? The law is a way, a system that we use to interact with God, that the nation of Israel used to interact with God. Grace, the new covenant, is Jesus' new way for us to relate to God. You understand what I'm saying? So there's two ways. You either approach God, relate to God, interact with God, receive from God by grace, by what Christ has done through Christ as Christ being sufficient, or you got to earn your way. You got to deserve. You got to pay the price. You got to do it right. You got to get it right. You see what I'm saying? Oh, this is so subtle. This is so subtle. Because, man, how is it that we relate to God? Now, now I, I really want to bug you this morning. How do you relate to God? How do you approach God? How do you interact with God? When you ask God for anything, how do you ask? Or do you ask? Why don't you ask? Let me tell you what, 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 what living in the system of law and works produces. It produces people, children of God, full of shame, shame to ask. Shame to approach God. Shame to respond to God. It, it produces a people full of guilt and overwhelmed by condemnation because we're never good enough. We can never be perfect enough. We can never work hard enough to deserve to earn or to be, to become or to keep anything from God. So it just bring it, brings this great sense of guilt condemnation also produces what, what does it produce produces fear well if I didn't work hard enough that means God is out to get me 
That's how it worked in the law. I mean, if the law was really good, if you think the law was really good, just take a look at the Old Testament story of the nation of Israel. Just take a look. If you, if you want this system for your life, let me just tell you, let me just tell you, go take a look at the nation of Israel. It's a story of defeat, man. Let me just pause right here and explain from Paul's perspective what the law is. The law is good. The law is perfect, and the law is holy. But the author of Hebrews, I think it's Paul, he comes to write this. He says this. He, looks, he says, look, God found fault with the law in the old covenant. Why? He explains. It's not that the law was faulty. It's holy, it's perfect, and it's good. But it can never make anyone perfect, holy, or good. The law is perfect, holy, and good, and that's the issue. The law was given to imperfect people, bad people, unholy people. It requires holiness and perfection from us, but it is not granted. So what does the law do automatically in response? It condemns us. That's why Paul calls the law the ministry of death. It's the ministry of death. I mean, Paul writes this in Galatians that it was through the law that he died. <laughs> the law kills. Why? Because it says you weren't good enough, kill him. You didn't make the cut, kill him. The law does not grant blessings to anyone who observes it or who, who keeps it. Because quite honestly, no one can. You understand what I'm saying? So the law is good. We're not saying, look, let's put away the law. Let's forget it. No, 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 no. The law is good. What's the use of the law, though? It's for us to see we weren't good enough. We need something else because we cannot relate to God based on our goodness. We need something else or better. We need someone else. His name is Jesus. So the law will produce fear. Man, if you didn't work hard, if you don't do your part, your part of the agreement, then forget it. God lifts up his blessings. Worse, God sends curse. Hello, you guys with me? You know, you know what's so beautiful with the new covenant? That is a covenant between God and God. God and Jesus. The old covenant, it was a, a covenant between God and man. The new covenant is between God and Jesus. That's why this covenant can never be broken. Even when you fail to keep up with your part of the agreement, Jesus does it. Like in the old, old covenant, we would have men, people, human beings full of flaws, full of imperfection as our high priest interceding on our behalf before God. But they were full of flaws. And they, their, 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 their age was numbered already. Now we have a high priest before God that stands forever interceding on our behalf. And he is perfect and he's always accepted before the presence of God. You understand what I'm saying? See why it made Paul furious? Because this thing just enslaved everybody. You know, you know how I call this thing? I call this thing religion. Call this thing religion. And man, I know that I'm, I might be stepping on some toes this morning. Maybe saying some stuff you've never heard. Or may, maybe saying some stuff that goes contrary to what you've heard. But this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, grace does not mix with law. It's two different systems of relating to God. It's either or. And actually, Paul says that if you approach God dependent on your own doing, on your own goodness, on your own holiness, you have already deserted Christ. Now, it, it doesn't mean that you lost your salvation. It just means that, man, it's going to be a tough life. Like, in Christ, there's victory. But outside of Christ, there isn't. In Christ, there's hope. But in your own strength, I mean, I don't know about you. I realize there isn't. <laughs> so you see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. But it's the gospel of Jesus. No additives. You know, I, I tattooed right here the, the last words of Jesus on the cross. It's in Greek, okay? It's not Portuguese or English. And it's not the name of someone else. It, it means tetestelai, tetelestai, sorry. I don't know Greek. <laughs> it means finished. Jesus' last words on the cross. Finished. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in his words? Do you believe what he says is true? Take a deep breath right now. And just feel the peace of God. For Paul says also in Romans, I mean, I told you Romans is my favorite letter of the Bible, favorite book of the Bible. He says that we have peace with God because of what Christ has done. You have peace with God. Not because of your doing. Come on. Not because of your works. You got peace with God. If you got peace with God, I don't know if you understand what it means. I mean, you're on his side. You're on his good side. You can approach him full of confidence knowing that he won't reject you. Knowing that he won't turn his back on you. Because he can't. Because when he looks at you, he sees someone that is fully right with him. You're in good and perfect standing with God. Nothing you do will make you lose it. I've said this before, I think, one Sunday, that your righteousness, which means good standing with God, which means being right with God, is not doing. It's not based on behavior. We don't relate to God based on our actions or attitudes or behavior. It's an identity thing. Hello, you understand what I'm saying? It's an identity thing. Just like how some of us here, we're Brazilian. That's an identity thing. It's not what you do. Hello, are you guys with me? Because some of us, we grew up here. We don't even like Brazilian food anymore. I mean, that's, that, I, I know. I'll, I'll, that's too far out because Brazilian food it is good. Everybody loves Brazilian food. Maybe some of us, we don't even like soccer like myself. Come on, I don't like soccer. I really don't. Don't throw stones at me. I just don't like soccer. I don't get the point of soccer. I hate playing soccer. I hate watching soccer. And I don't understand why they have video games of soccer. <laughs> some Brazilians are really pissed at me right now. It's like, oh, you're mixing some gospel right there, too. Oh, man. But being Brazilian is who I am. It's not what I do. I can dislike the food, dislike the people, dislike the... Not, not that I... Do, okay, but I can dislike everything about Brazil. I can't hate it. I can say stuff contrary to it. I can behave like, you know, join every other culture in the world beside the Brazilian culture, but I'm still Brazilian because it's an identity thing. You understand what I'm saying? Same goes for your righteousness, your justification, your forgiveness before God. 
It's what Paul writes. Look, we're just in the beginning of this letter. I promise you, like, we're going to dive deep into this. If it takes two weeks, three weeks, five, six weeks, we're going to dive deep into this because this message is imperative for your growth and your relationship with God. Otherwise, we're going to live like a lot of Christians that I know, or maybe we've been there, maybe you are there, this really crazy schizophrenic relationship with God. Why? Because dependent on us, based on us and what we do. But Paul says, look, your righteousness, your good standing before God, it's a matter of identity, not behavior. It's not that behavior doesn't matter. It does, but not in regards to how God sees you, how God loves you, how God can use you, how God blessed you, how God favors you. We don't earn a thing from God. Christ has earned it, period. There's nothing given to us from God that will ever be our deserving. You understand that? God cannot honor anybody besides Christ. He was perfect. He met the perfect standard. No one else. The Bible says that there will not be anyone else like him. But through him and because of him, by him, we approach God fully blessed, fully favored, right, with good standing. Amen. I could go on and on, but I, I want to I honor your time also. Um, let me just read one verse. We'll pause right here for, for this Sunday um, just to kind of um, leave you that taste so that you can come back. Amen? Look what Paul says. This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, one of my favorites. Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Bam! Do you see it? This is just one of the verses. This letter is packed with these things. And what we want to do is, what I want to do is really unpack this in such a way that is so clear that is so precise that you will jump out of the boat of religion that is sinking anyway and hold on to Jesus forever. That you will not be bound by do's and don'ts and lists and traditions and what other people have said to you in the past. But you hold on to Jesus and Jesus alone. Life becomes so much better. Oh, you will become free. Free, free from shame and fear and guilt and condemnation. Even the grip of sin is going to lose its taste as you see the beauty of Jesus in his gospel. Amen. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. We're just going to praise Jesus and wrap it up. But look, I do not nullify the grace of God. Paul is saying, I don't know about you guys, but let me tell you from me, okay? I do not want to nullify the grace of God. I don't want to cancel out the grace of God. I don't want to be anywhere else besides then in the grace of God. Hello, are you guys with me? Because in the grace of God, everything flows. Everything works. Everything makes sense. Life is full of life. Life is full of purpose. Life is full of peace and full of joy in the grace of God. Apart from it, everything is just death and misery and without color and dark and gloomy and ugh. Man, and like, I, I, I'm trying to just share my feelings with you because it's what I've received from Jesus when he opened my eyes to see the beauty of this message. Man, let me tell you, a lot of Christians who are leaving churches, it's not because they are bad Christians. They're just, they're just, uh, what's the word? 
honest Christians. They're not bad Christians. They're honest Christians. They got tired of religion. And they just jumped boat. Because they know it's a boat that's not working. Because they heard they weren't good enough. They weren't perfect enough. Man, that, quite honestly, it really upsets me. Because you know what the message is? We all have this message. To, to the unbeliever, to the people that we work with, to our neighbors. It's like, come to Christ, right? Oh, your life is going to be perfect. Come to Christ. He will forgive you of all your sins. And you're going to be made right with God. Like, we all believe this. Come to Christ. Experience his grace. It's amazing. But then when they come, we're like, you better watch out now. Now you ought to be holy. Now you ought to do this. Now you got to be like, oh. Then better to just live your life. And then at the end of your life, you come to Jesus. I'm just being honest. Christians are leaving churches, not because they're bad Christians, not because they stopped believing, because they're honest. They're like, this is too much for me. But what they heard wasn't the unadulterated gospel of Jesus. was a perverted gospel. And it loses power to set them free, to liberate their potential, to give peace, to give joy. So I don't know about you. I don't want to nullify the grace of God. How do you nullify it? When you believe that righteousness comes through the law. He says, for if righteousness came through the law, by you being good, by you being holy, then Christ died for no reason. But the point is, our righteousness. What is righteousness? Right standing. Good standing with God. Not just good standing. Good standing is still mediocre. It's a mediocre word to say that, that what Jesus did was to get us in good standing with God it's perfect standing <laughs> unwavering eternally secured perfect standing with God it's not through your works it's not through your behavior and your actions but through what Christ has done you see how it's dangerous I understand I know it's, it sounds too good to be true please trust me it is Test my words. Read this over and over again. How have we mixed the law? And we got to say, what about the Big Ten? You don't follow it. Have you answered a phone call yesterday? Have you eaten shrimp this, this week? Pork? Have you worked on Saturday? Have you answered an email on Saturday night? You don't follow the law. What are, you, what are you talking about the Big Ten? You don't keep your Sabbath. The law has nothing to do with the message of, message of Jesus. When Paul went around preaching to people who never knew, were not Jews, they never knew the Jewish nation existed. Do you think Paul was preaching, look, there's these, these huge list of commandments and there's all these traditions and then there's Jesus no no Paul only preached Jesus and that's it the law was never meant it was never given to Gentiles it was given to Jews it has nothing to do with our message look you're you're I believe none of us here are Jews not that there is a problem please understand what I'm saying but I think we're all Gentiles here the law is not for us the system of interacting with God based on doing is not for us What's our message? Christ alone. Christ sufficient. Even for the Jews today, God has canceled out the law. How? Jesus formally put an end to it by fulfilling it in himself. 